The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, the epistle lesson, and also these words from Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the church. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. That is the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was 1597 in the little village of Una, Germany. The pastor of the, the church, Lutheran church in that town was a man named Philip Nikolai. Philip Nikolai would in that year experience incredible loss. During that year, it was at that time that the bubonic plague broke out. 1,300 of the members of his congregation died in that year. During the month of July, he lost 300 members. In a single week in August, he had 170 die. And there was even one single day that he had 30 members die all to the bubonic plague. It is this man, Philip Nikolai, who penned the hymn that you just sang, O Morning Star, How Fair and Bright, a hymn that is known as, is part of a pair of hymns that are known as the King and Queen of Chorales, which speaks to the style of mus the music and it also speaks to its great influence. Even Johann Sebastian Bach spoke highly of this particular music. And by the way, the other hymn is Wake Awake for Night is Flying. It is in the year that he experienced this great loss that he wrote this hymn. This hymn that is assigned as the hymn of the day for Epiphany. Every single day of every Sunday of the church year, every feast day has its own hymn assigned to it. The purpose of that hymn is to, to emphasize something that is being expressed that day. And so, and by the way, this is, this is kind of one of those points where we think, focus on why it is of value to be familiar with the older songs. And by the way, new is valuable too. We've, we, have we focus on the old hymns because we remember the church is ancient. There are many stories, there are many interesting lives that wrote these songs. But we also sing the new because the church is more, is not, did not die 40 years ago. It's still living. So the hymn begins, O morning star, how fair and bright. You shine with God's own truth and light. Echoing those words from Revelation that you heard just a little bit ago. And also calling to mind that star that shined bright in the sky, as we read in Matthew. Those magi. Trivia question. How many, trick question. How many magi were there? We don't know. I, don't worry, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. But the trick question, because everybody thinks three, but the only thing we know is that there was more than one 
But beyond that, we have no idea. The scripture only tell the only reason we know it's more than one is because the word magi is written in the plural. So we know there's more than one, but it does not say how many. The reason for the idea that there were three is because there are three gifts. The magi, because they're called magi, which by the way, wise men is just another way of saying magi. It's it comes from the ancient world, the medieval world. The word wise men referred to diviners, people who looked, gazed upon the stars and predicted the future, which makes sense as to why they followed this very mysterious this star that rose, in the, that rose before them. And so they followed it. And so these magi were coming from what is modern-day Iran, part of the old Persian Empire. They, were one, they come from a world that one part, at one point was a part of the might and strength of the world. The Persian Empire was one of the mightiest empires in the history of the world. If any of you have ever seen the movie 300, you, might remember, you may have seen the Persians and remember the whole this is Sparta line. But... There you see this massive army that was so massive that his, they say that the very earth would shake as they marched. It felt like a small earthquake. And there's even that famous line that their arrows would blot out the sun, to which the brave Spartans said, we'll fight in the shade. Which, by the way, that is an actual historical quote. But that was the empire they had. But the Persians were conquered by Alexander of Macedonia, Alexander the Great. And the Greeks would be rise to power. But before long, it was the Romans who would conquer the Greeks. So it had been hundreds of years since the Persian Empire was of might. And of course, on account of the fact that they are in fact Gentiles, they live not only in political darkness, but in spiritual darkness. And so they followed that star. And by the way, you want to know what, what's one of the great miracles in the Epiphany story? Is that men stopped to ask for directions. And by the way, men, if you want, ever want an argument as to why not to stop for directions, you could ask a guy like Herod, like they did. So they stopped and asked Herod for, question, for directions, really to figure out where this child was to be born. And Herod, who fancied himself to be the king of the Jews, did not like the idea that someone else would be the king of the Jews. And Herod was a bit of a sociopath. He was, there was a famous quote by Caesar Augustus who said that it is better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. The reason for that was, was even though Herod himself was not a Jew, he participated in many Jewish practices, like not eating pork. So if you were Herod's pig, he'd be more likely to let you live than his sons, of two of whom he killed. He also killed one of his wives. He also killed many other people of Israel out of fear of insurrection. This is the reason why we read in that text that 
that the priests, along with all of Israel, was afraid because they were afraid of what Herod would do. And we'd find, it's not in today's text, but a little bit afterwards you find out what Herod did when he killed all the, all the males under the age of two in Bethlehem. So this was the darkness that Jerusalem was in. They were in, the people of Israel, they were in the darkness being ruled by the Roman Empire. Granted, Caesar Augustus was better than many of the other emperors. He definitely had his flaws. And it would not be long before they had Tiberius Caesar, which by the, was the Caesar during the time of Jesus who was absolutely brutal. And also they lived under the time of Herod. So they too lived in darkness. So that star that shined bright in the, star, in the sky was a sign of hope. The hymn that we sang is also, a, is a, it's an interesting, it's a hymn that fits for Epiphany. It's a hymn that could go into the end of the church year. It could be a hymn that goes to Advent. It's also, if you notice our decorations, we're still set up from the wedding yesterday. I think that's quite appropriate. Because this hymn is also a wedding hymn. Notice the second verse. Come, heavenly bridegroom, light divine, and deep within our hearts now shine. Their light a flame undying. In your one body let us be, as living branches of a tree. Your life our lives supplying, now though daily. Earth's deep sadness may perplex us and distress us. Yet with heavenly joy you bless us. Think about that life that he's living. All of that death surrounding him. Those last words, he very well knew that. Earth's deep sadness may perplex us and distress us. Begins with that term of the bridegroom, anticipating his coming. As I mentioned in the sermon yesterday, when you, your marriage, all marriages are really not about the husband or the wife, your marriage is ultimately about Christ and his love for the church. This hymn is a reminder that every marriage is ultimately a reflection of what Christ has done for the church. But here, as it says, earth's deep sadness may perplex us and distress us. Yet with heavenly joy, you bless us. See, in our congregation, even though yesterday we had a wedding, at the same time we are also preparing for a funeral. And we definitely know of the great grief of this world. We know of the sadness that perplexes us. We know of the consequences of sin. It has brought death. It has brought destruction. It is the reason why we grieve the loss of life. If there was no sin, there would be no death. Death is its consequence. Death is a reminder of our wretchedness. 
Death is a reminder of our sin. We also look at our our world around us. We look at the fact that right now our government is still shut down. Wishing that our country would actually, that things would be a little bit more civil. This past week, at the start of our brand new Congress, on the very first day, I know we're we're still two weeks away from Lutherans for, for Life Sunday, but... Just this week, very, one of the first things they did was add in a bill that would allow for you, with your tax money, to fund abortions in other countries, in Mexico and China. Over 40 million were killed by abortion in the last year. It remains a genocide for African Americans. If somebody really believes black lives matter, then they better be a staunch opponent of abortion. Because the most dangerous place for an African American is in the womb of their own mother. Statistically, if you take every single form of death combined for African Americans, it is still less than the number that are aborted every year. This last week, as we are in National Awareness of Human Trafficking Month, the month of January is, this past week I saw a very striking video. In the city of Atlanta, they lined up, made a huge line of school buses right outside of the Georgia Dome. I don't know if any of you saw the video. This line of buses represented all of those who were human trafficked in the state of Georgia. I think it was a line of like 30 some odd buses. Huh? Well, I undershot it. So 72 buses, all lined up. That is the darkness that perplexes us. That is the sadness that perplexes us. And so... Verse 3, as it is after a wedding, you naturally have a party, you dance, you celebrate, you have a feast. Verse 3 is an answer to this sadness that perplexes us. Lord, you look, when you look on us in love, at once there falls from God above a ray of purest pleasure. Your word and spirit, flesh and blood, refresh our souls with heavenly food. You are our dearest treasure. So hear that? Flesh, blood, heavenly food. You are our dearest treasure. Yet let your mercy warm and cheer us. Oh, draw near us, for you teach us. God's own love you has re- through you has reached us through his body through his blood the love of God reaches us gives us strength to walk through this weary world as this that is the source of joy the source of strength in the midst of a dark and weary world and the fourth verse I'm not going to read through it but in the fourth verse it echoes the extravagance of our God's love That before the earth's foundation, he loved us. And he sent his son to ransom us 
by shedding his blood on the cross. Now, not only is this a wedding hymn, it's also a funeral hymn. And verse 5 bridges that. Oh, let the hearts break forth in sound. Our joy be all with music crowned. Our voices gladly blending. For Christ goes with us all the way. Today, tomorrow, every day. His life is never ending. Sing out, ring out, jubilation, exaltation. Tell the story. Great is he, the king of glory. Can you believe that that was written by a guy that in that year experienced 1,300 deaths in his congregation? With such incredible joy? To a married couple, it is a reminder, yes, it's a joyous day, and a reminder throughout that mar- the years of your marriage, Christ will walk with you today, tomorrow, and every day. But it's also a reminder to us as it begins to transition to that theme of death and hope. That as we walk through this world, whether you're married or not, he goes with you today, tomorrow, every day. His love, the love that loved us so much that he died for us, is never ending. So sing out, ring out, jubilation, exaltation. Tell that story. And then verse 6. Now verse 6, just think about this as what he has gone through. You could feel the sheer emotion of it. See, as a pastor, and I'm sure Pastor Salcedo can speak to this as well, done many funerals throughout our, our years as pastors, and there are many faces that you can't help but see Especially because, you know, Lutherans, we have our assigned pew seats. We always sit in that one spot. You can't help but notice that they're not there. There are so many f- empty faces and empty pews, so to speak. I could not imagine what it must have been like for Philip Nikolai. And, yet, and so he writes this, so this verse is quite powerful and a little bit gut-wrenching. What joy to know... When life is past, the Lord we love is first and last, the end and the beginning. He will one day, O glorious grace, transport us to that happy place beyond all tears and sinning. Amen. Amen. What does amen mean? Truly, truly. Or this is so. Come, Lord Jesus. Crown of gladness, we are yearning for the day of your returning. See, Paul, as we read in that epistle lesson, wrote that from prison. He knew the suffering that came at the hands of being a Christian. You could read in 2 Corinthians Corinthians 11 of his incredible suffering. We know of the world that the people of Israel were in. And we, too, walk through a toilsome, troubling world. So those words of verse 6 are very much our own words. They are very much days where we will be sitting there and saying, Come, Lord Jesus, crown of gladness, we are yearning for the day of your returning.
It is right and appropriate to yearn for that day. But until that day comes, he gives us his word. He gives us his sacrament to strengthen us and carry us through this world until he comes, the bright morning star. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith, the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.